Hi, and welcome to episode 16 of uh, the Gomology podcast. I'm your host, Nick Johannesson. I'm joined today by David Henderson-Stewart, director of Raketa Watches in Russia. So welcome, David. Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, hello. Thank you very much for inviting me uh, to the podcast. Uh, so I'm called David Henderson-Stewart. I live in Russia. I've moved to Russia 15 years ago. And... Um, I fell in love with the country, I fell in love with the people, and I decided, so originally I came for only a few years, but I decided to stay longer, just because I um, it's such a great country. And um, I now run the Raketa Watch Factory, which is a really interesting uh, watch factory that produces watches under the brand Raketa. And... This is the project of a lifetime, and uh, I'll tell you more about it. Because Raketa, as itself, has been around for a, a long time. Exactly. Raketa, the brand Raketa was um, created in 1961 when Gagarin flew into space, you know, the first man that achieved the impossible, you know, to leave the Earth and to fly in space. And that was such a big event that they decided to create a watch brand uh, in honor of Gagarin's flight. So, they, so the word Raketa in Russian means space rocket. So the DNA of Raketa is very much linked to space, to cosmonauts. And did the cosmonauts actually wear a Raketa? Of course, in the Soviet time, a lot of cosmonauts wore Raketa watches. They never did such a big thing out of it like uh, you know uh, they do now because the Soviets were not terribly good at marketing. So, junior cosmonauts just wore watches, but there was no marketing around it. Right. Um, did they make special watches for other people than the cosmonauts? Oh, definitely. Um, Raketa, you know, you know, Swiss brands very often are very specialized, you know, and a lot of people ask me, is Raketa a watch for the military or is it a watch for submariners or is it a watch for, you know, racing pilots? And because that's very much what Swiss brands do, they, 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 they specialize. Uh, uh, the answer I give for Raketa is Raketa made watches for everyone, you know, for the Politburo, for, for the army, for submariners, for polar explorers, uh, basically for everyone. It's basically the watch of the people. Basically, um, it's the DNA of Raketa is very much, it's just a Russian watch. They did, they did watches for everyone. So in all in all types of price class, uh, absolutely. I mean, for example, uh, fifty years exactly fifty years ago, um, the Raketa watch factory was approached by the Ministry of um, of, um, of uh, in charge of uh, of, po of, of polar explorers, and they asked Raketa to develop a watch specially for Antarctic polar explorers. So the specifications were that the watch has to be super resistant. And it had to have a 24-hour dial, I mean, you know, because, you know, you and I know that it's, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon because we look through the window and I see daylight. If it were dark, I would know it's four o'clock in the morning. But they, you can't do that in, in the South Pole because you have six months of total daylight and six months of total nighttime. So they needed a 24-hour dial. And so Raketa did a, a polar watch with a 24-hour movement and a 24-hour dial. And... Um, uh, and this watch is, is, has become iconic. 
having grown up in the extreme north of Norway, I can sort of relate to that. It would have been handy. <laughs> it is, and it's and uh, it's. And it's actually when you get hunt, when you get used to reading uh, the time on a twenty-four hour watch, it's actually it's very convenient and it's very logical, you know, to um, because at the end of the day there are twenty-four hours in one day, not twelve hours. Quite. Um, is the factory as large as it ever was these days? No, 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 no. It used to be very big in the in the you know in the big times of the Soviet Union in like the seventies, the eighties. It was a very massive factory. That they had more than seven thousand watchmakers and specialists working. Uh, they produced more than five million watches every year, mechanical watches. This is a lot. Um, right. So when I first uh, discovered and visited the, the, the factory in Saint Petersburg, there were not more than twenty old people working, in, you know, in very terrible conditions. Uh, today, ten years later, uh, there are approximately hundred people working at the production. So it's much smaller than it used to be, but it's bigger than it used to be 10 years ago. Right. And has the factory sort of developed with the times, taking in use modern equipment, or is it still very much old school? Not so much uh, modern equipment. Um, I would say 90% of the machines we have are still Soviet machines. And most of the operations are still made by hand. Uh, so we didn't buy all these, you know, modern CNC machines, um, which are basically programmed by uh, computer specialists who write codes, and the, the production is made, you know, by 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 robot. Like it's it's very often the case in Switzerland. Uh, we kept these old machines, so it's very much old school, as you say. And um, we want to keep it this way. First of all, this is the way our specialists know how to produce things. And secondly, it's um, it's so much more interesting to visit the factory and see actually people working and not robots producing components. Would you say there's a high level of uh, craftsmanship, actual oh, absolutely. using the hands? Oh, absolutely. The biggest asset we have at the factory are not the machines. Uh, it's the people, the specialists. You know, um, they have an incredible amount of know-how. Um, you can have... Uh, I mean, they are definitely the biggest asset we have, and we value them a lot. Um, so the, the first thing we did when when we um, started um, the, the Draketo project is is to hire younger generations and to transfer to them as much as possible the know-how of these very old specialists. And some of them were very, very old. You know, we had people over 80 years old still working at the factory. Be, be, Basically, a watchmaker, unlike you know many other professions, watchmakers are very much passionate about what they do. So they worked, you know, without receiving a salary. They just worked because it was. They always worked as watchmakers, and they, they didn't want to stop. So we hired young people. We created our own watchmaking school, and um, and still today, in every single department, we still have the old specialists teaching the younger generations how to um, um, how to work properly on these machines. Right. Do you find the young people are growing the same passion for making watches? Well, no, it, it's difficult. It's very difficult to find the right person because uh, you need a lot of patience to become a watchmaker. Um, I would say it's much easier to become a lawyer or a financial director than to become a good watchmaker. 
uh, become a good, good uh, watchmaker or a good specialist on, on, you know, on lathe machines or uh, you need at least four, five, six years of very hard work and patience and discipline. Uh, I, I, I used to be a lawyer, much easier to be a lawyer, much, much easier. <laughs> I guess there's a more natural career progression and uh, a certain amount of money at the end of it. Well, uh, uh, I mean, one of the biggest lessons I learned over the past 10 years is how how uh, um, our economy is, is unfair towards these specialists. Because uh, I come from a country, which is Europe, basically, where they teach you that, you know, t- to be to be successful in life, you have to be a lawyer or a banker. And if you're not, like, you, you know, you should strive to be, you, basically, you have to be ambitious to become lawyers or bankers. And uh, these people, uh, their work is very much undervalued, but their work is so much more difficult. And uh, the, uh, the quality of our watches very much depends on, 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 on their skill. So I have a huge respect now for, 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 for these workers. Um, and this is something that you know, they don't teach us in, in Europe. No, it sort of harks back to um, to older times, like um, say the fifties and sixties, when when there was actually a lot of manual labour, uh, well before the complicated production machines arrived. Exactly, exactly. So uh, we very much value our, our, our watchmakers. We we um, and uh, over the past ten years, we 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 we, we did a lot of. We, it took us a lot of time to. Um, Basically, it's like a partnership because we depend on them; they depend on us. Um, um, like in Switzerland, for example, if you lose one of your specialists, you can you can very easily find a second specialist because you know half of Switzerland is works for the watch industry, which is not the case in Saint Petersburg. So when we hire a young specialist, uh, he takes a risk, right? Because if anything happens to us, uh, he won't be able to sell all his know-how to a second watch factory because there are no other watch factories. Uh, um, and we also take in risk in because we know that he'll only become a good specialist after three, four, five years. So we will have to invest a lot of time and energy and money into his training. So it's like a partnership. So there's a lot of uh, mutual loyalty and respect. Yes, I can see. Uh, but you are managing to find young people who are willing to um, to take a chance on it. Oh, it's difficult. It's very difficult. Um I can give you an example of a very good specialist. He was 28 years old. We trained him for four years to become, um, I mean, to do a very complicated operation. And one day he just left us to, to, to go and work as um, uh, uh, on a working site, um, in a building working site. It's just because um, um, uh, the salary was, was higher. Uh, because he wanted to, yeah, he, he got a job working at, um, on the crane, which is considered as a dangerous job. So it was very well paid and he and, and and we lost him which was very very sad because we lost a very highly qualified specialist and and, and obviously you can't find a second one so you have to find a new a, a young person and you'll have to start the training from scratch so that's yes. so that's why we we keep all these old people to continue you know teaching and transferring the know-how yeah. Now, I have to ask, how on earth did a European lawyer end up in Russia and then taking over a watch factory? Well, um, 
you know, when you work in Russia, you, it's, uh, I mean, Russia is like, um, it's still a country with huge possibilities. And um, working as a lawyer, or uh, um, I quickly realized that um, there was so much more I could do in Russia. You know, any, I think this, you know, any project can become very successful in Russia because um, there is still so much you can bring to Russia. And I quickly got fed up of working in big companies and I wanted to do something by myself and to bring something to the country. And what the country lacked 10 years ago was a sense of luxury, a sense of service. Um, um, and Russia is such an amazing country with such an incredible history and culture, but it didn't have any luxury brands. And as you know, you know, luxury brands are very often based on history, on a legacy, on traditions, on know-how. And Russia has all of that, but doesn't have any luxury brands because um, the history of Russia has been, was very chaotic. You know, the, the Russian Revolution, the Soviet Union, the Perestroika. Um, so a lot of luxury brands that existed in Russia, like Fabergé, for example, just disappeared. I mean, they don't exist in Russia anymore. So I was always surprised that Russia, with such incredible culture and history, didn't have any luxury brands. And I thought, wow, there's something we can do about it. And we can do something about it. And Russians themselves didn't really believe in Russian luxury because at that time they were always all, all looking towards the West. You know, every Russian wanted to have Western brands and they wanted to move to America. And I thought, you know, um, you know, like nature doesn't like vacuum. Uh, and a country like Russia has the legitimacy to have luxury brands. You know, we all remember, you know, the imperial luxury and all the history and the values and the culture. So that's how it all started. Just, I wasn't in particularly interested in watches. I didn't know anything about watches. I was just interested by the idea of building or rebuilding a luxury brand in Russia. That was the initial idea and vision I had. So you basically went looking for something that fit the bill. Well, I, I, a lot of my friends uh, from, from Europe who came to visit me want to buy something, you know, when you visit a country, you want to, to, to buy a souvenir. And there's nothing really you can buy in Russia apart from, you know, these, these matryoshkis or far hats. And I noticed that a lot of people wanted to buy Soviet watches. There was something about Soviet watches, which I knew nothing about, but a lot of my friends wanted to buy Soviet watches. So I discovered there was a market for Soviet watches and that in the Soviet Union made, you know, incredible watches. So that's how I discovered. And then I started looking for what was left of the Soviet watch industry. And I discovered that most of the Soviet watch factories had disappeared. And there was one left in St. Petersburg. So I took a plane. Um, and that's how I discovered Raketa. What was it like when you walked in there the first time? Oh, I, I didn't know what to expect. I had never, I had never visited a, a watch factory in my life. I had never visited a factory per se in my life. This is the first time I ever saw people working, you know, behind machines and actually producing something. Uh, so I, I, I didn't have a benchmark to compare it with. But what I saw um, was fascinating because I saw all these machines and I saw all of these. I mean, there were only twenty people left. Twenty people left, but they were still producing something. And the audits I did basically was, you know, I took a watch, I did TikTok, TikTok, and I said, "Wow, it's incredible! It's working." Let's just do a bit of marketing, a bit of rebranding, and it will work. Obviously, 
Uh, I didn't realize it would be so much more complicated than that, but that's how it all started. And since then, have has, have you come a long way? I mean, are, are you've obviously, the factory's grown, you're more people. Uh, are you making new watches or is it the same production as before? Oh, so so, so the first thing we did was um, we, we, um, we, we modernized the factory. We modernized it not in the machines, but in, in the technical process. I mean, basically... Uh, we had to bring the quality to a normal level because obviously during the 90s, the quality of uh, of Russian watches uh, significantly went down just because there was no more quality control and there were so few people left and there were very old people and so on and so on. And they were working in terrible conditions. You know, They were basically assembling watches with gloves, if you can imagine. The heating didn't work. The windows were broken. It was very cold. I mean, you can't make watches properly in, in these conditions. So we modernized the factory. Um, we redesigned a new collection and we had to build a new distribution network also. So, you know, it took us a lot of time to actually uh, bring it to the current level. So the people who have been there all the time, did they appreciate that you came in and actually gave them better working conditions? Oh, of, of course, of course, you know, um, I mean, for them, for the old people, the the, the, the Raketa watch factory was everything. You know, some of them worked for more than six years in the factory. So it was a landmark uh, for St. Petersburg. So it, w- it would have been a disaster for them if the factory closed. It would have been, you know, a piece of their soul that would disappear. So ev- everyone, of course, is extremely grateful that the factory still exists. Very proud of the factory. Um Sounds like it was on its last legs when you oh, it, when you discovered oh, it. Oh, it was. I'm pretty sure that um, the factory would have closed. Um, you know, maybe six months later or a year later. It, it, it was programmed to close because because you know it was a time when Russians didn't want to buy Russian watches anymore. You know, as I said, they all they all wanted Western brands. Um, it wasn't cool at all to wear a Russian watch. Not at all. So that was, I would say, that was the biggest difficulty. We, we we totally underestimated how much the Russians did not want Russian watches. It took us a lot of time and and to to make them understand that you know they should be proud of their history, they should be proud of these Russian watches, that the quality of Russian Russian watches was at the same level as Swiss quality. And I would say that was the most difficult challenge. It's quite strange to think because uh, obviously the people in Russia have heard of Western brands, as you mentioned. But I'm I'm really trying hard to think of any Western brand, no uh, Russian brands that are sort of known in the West. Oh, there are there are. I would say, um, I wouldn't dare say that there are none, but there are very very few. You can count them on the hands, uh, on the fingers of your hands. I mean, basically everyone knows Aeroflot, Gazprom, Kalashnikov, but that's not luxury brands. In terms of luxury brands, there are very, very, very few. It, yeah. It's just because most of them did, well, don't exist anymore. And also because um, Russian entrepreneurs didn't want to invest in Russian brands. They preferred to invest in distributing Western brands in Russia. Yeah, the only Russian brand I can sort of think of off the top of my head now is Lada, which obviously wasn't um, doing it in the luxury uh, field at all. 
No, no, no. I, I confirm that, but there are very, very. I, I, I could name one or two, but that's it. Yeah. So, do you feel that uh, Raketa is now becoming more appreciated in Russia? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, mentalities have changed, obviously, because um, you know, since since the Soviet Union collapsed, the Russians have had access to more to more or less everything they could in terms of Western brands. So. Um, um, so, so their appetite—they've lost their appetite a bit for Western brands uh, because they've had them for the past twenty years. And also, the sanctions have uh, helped to uh, Russians to remember that they also have, you know, Russian production, and that um, they should be proud of, you know, local production. Right. So, and be, so, so basically, mentalities have changed. Uh, in other words, um, um, uh, Russians, you know, don't like. For example, I'll give you a very good example. Until like five years ago, you would not find a Russian restaurant in Moscow. You know, if you wanted to take your girlfriend out, you would take her out to to a sushi restaurant or to to an Italian restaurant. Now, the most fashionable and most expensive restaurants in Moscow are Russian restaurants where you. Where you eat some borscht, uh, some beef stroganoff. Um, so that's a very good example of how how much mentalities have changed. That's very interesting. Do you get the impression that Russians look back on the Soviet period with a certain bad feeling? No, on the contrary, they, they there's a certain nostalgia towards Soviet period. You know, they, people forget the bad things; they do they only remember the good things. Um. But Raketa is not a political project at all. I mean, we don't do any. We never. We would never use any political signs, or or um, uh, we we play with colors. We play with you know Russian avant-garde artistic movement. Um, yeah, but you stay away from the political side. So exactly. no, uh, no, no, of course, Amazon sickles. And... Exactly, you wouldn't find that on the designs, right? Or, or... But it's still. Is... Looking at the designs, though, it's, it, I mean, they are very clearly Russian-inspired. Uh, absolutely. All of our models are inspired by a Soviet model. So we didn't invent anything new. It's just um, we have mm, watches, you know, that celebrates uh, the cosmos, uh, like the Copernicus watch, which is a very iconic Soviet watch. We still have this in our collection. Um, the polar watch I mentioned, we still have it in our collection. It's just the designs have been modernized. The watches are in conformity, you know, with modern standards in some in terms of quality, automatic movement, sapphire glass. Um, but definitely, we we are very much inspired by what Raketa did in the Soviet times, because we we want to keep the legitimacy of the past. This is very important for us. Basically, it's 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 not a brand that's looking towards the past with nostalgia. It's it's a brand that's proud of its past, but that's looking towards the future. So we do modern Russian watches, but we're definitely very proud of being Russian. And this this was actually a big challenge because when we took over the factory, one of the first questions which we you know um, asked ourselves is: Do we keep the factory, or should we do like everyone else? You know, just keep the brand pretend that it's made in Russia, but really, in reality, make it somewhere else. And most of the brands do that. 
Um, so that was a very tough decision to decide to keep the factory. But it was a very visionary decision because basically we, and, and that's because we came from the West. So we kind of understood that the real value of a brand you, in the long run is your authenticity of the brand. True. And to make it authentic, we had to, we had to keep the factory. You can't say it's Russian made if it's not Russian made. At some point, someone will discover it and, um, you will, lose the value of your brand. So we wanted to keep the project authentic and and to have, you know, to, to say that you're Russian made, we had to keep the factory. But that was very difficult because because obviously we knew nothing about watch production and producing mechanical watches is just incredibly complicated. I mean, that's one of the reasons there are so few countries in the world that know how to make mechanical watches. You know, basically you have Switzerland, Germany, Japan, um, Russia, and China, that's copying everyone, but that's it. You know, France doesn't know how to make mechanical watches. The U.S. don't know how. The U.S. doesn't make mechanical watches. It's just incredibly complicated. It's it's nearly as complicated as you know building a rocket that goes into space. I mean, it's uh, you wear on your wrist just metal parts. There's, there's no there's no battery. There's no electric system. There's there are no chips, and still it has to give the precise time every single day of the week of every single month, every single, you know, for 10, 20, 30 hours in a row. Very complicated. But to me, with a certain mechanical know-how, it seems a perfect miracle, um, especially once you start adding in all these complications to add the features. And it's uh, incredible. Well, uh, uh, Raketa doesn't really go into these very, I mean, complication, very I mean, the Swiss, they love to do very complicated complications, like the tourbillon, for example, which is the most famous complication. It's very difficult to make, but it serves no purpose. Russian watches are more like robust tool watches. Every complication we do serves a purpose. Like, for example, the 24-hour complication. It serves a purpose. Russia doesn't do all these fancy complications that uh, that don't serve you know, any useful purpose. You make everything in the watches in the factory. Oh, I would say ninety percent of what you wear on the wrist is done in house. Yes, and uh, in particular the mechanical movement itself, which is the heart of the watch. The mechanical movement is a hundred percent made in house, which is which is quite incredible, and it and and it's it's totally irrational. I mean, no one does that. Um, it's just it's so complicated to do. We just do it because. We tried to buy some parts in Switzerland, but it's just incredibly expensive. Uh, there was also an option to buy parts in China, like everyone else does, but it, the quality is really bad. Um, you need someone in China to control the quality. That was much too complicated for us. So we just ended up continuing to produce everything ourselves. Just We had the know-how. It was, just, it was simple to continue. That strikes me as the core point there, because you you actually had people who knew how to do it. So why would you disregard that knowledge and buy something that wasn't as good when you could do it properly? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But still, that was very challenging because um, we still had to, you know, we still had to modernize the whole thing. So um, because they did produce watches, but the standards had fallen quite low, unfortunately. Uh, for many, many reasons. So we had to bring it up again, and that was difficult. Right. So where is Raketa today? How are you doing? Raketa today is like, 
it's 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 so exciting. Every morning, I'm so happy to 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 come to, to work. I mean, it's not really work; it's a passion now. It's become a passion for me because we still make watches for cosmonauts in collaboration with the most famous Russian. I mean, world cosmonaut that still exists, um, Sergei Krikalev. He's the guy who went up, you know, seven times into space. He spent uh, more than two years and a half in aggregate in space. And together with him, we designed our watch for cosmonauts. So this is so exciting. We also uh, redesigned recently a watch for polar explorers. And uh, this watch is worn by Soviet, by Russian scientists at, on the Vostok station in, in, the, uh, in the South Pole. So it's so interesting, and we're making a watch now for Russian submariners with metal parts from a, a real Russian submarine. So it's really, really interesting. So that's what we're trying to do now is uh, make watches that that have an incredible story to tell, a Russian story to tell, you know, uh, with metal parts, of a submarine, with a design made by a Russian cosmonaut, um, that a watch that will be worn by Russian scientists by minus seventy in the South Pole. This is what we know. It's so interesting. Oh, well, I mean, when you put it like that, it, it sounds incredibly, uh, incredibly cool. Um, yeah, have you thought about making an Ekranoplan uh, tribute watch? Ah, this is uh, you know, um, I had never heard of this plane before until you mentioned it. And since yeah. then, I've become a big fan of this plane, and this is definitely one of the things we would like to do because uh, Raket had had the tradition of making watches for for Soviet pilots, and we still have um, a, a watch model that is for Russian pilots um, for that we do in collaboration with Tupolev. So uh, this is, you know, basically the sky and space are part of the DNA of Raketa. You know, the, the Russian, the Soviet engineers and designers of Raketa always looked towards the stars, towards you know, the sky for a source of inspiration. So definitely, definitely we will one day make that. Yeah. Um, so are you now exporting watches or are you mostly selling them in, in Russia? Well, Russia remains our biggest market. Uh, but we are exporting uh, through internet. Uh, we have points of sale in France at the moment, which is our second biggest market after Russia. But um, definitely our sales are growing, um, not very quickly, but they are growing because there's a lot of interest um, towards Rakata because it's um, it's so different. You know, when you wear a Russian Rakata watch on your wrist at a business meeting, for example, at a business dinner in restaurants, and everyone around you wears, you know, um, a Breguet, a Rolex, Audemars uh, Piguet, and suddenly someone notices you have a Raketa watch, which it looks a bit different. It's clearly not a Swiss watch. And then someone at some point will ask you, you know, what's that watch? And then you can start talking about your watch. And there's so much to say about Raket every single Raketa watch. And that's, I would say, this is the big difference between most other brands and Raketas. Someone who has a Raketa watch has a lot to say about his watch, you know, the manufacture, the history, the values of the watch, the collaborations with the Russian cosmonaut, and so on and so on. There's so much you can say about your watch. And and that's what the West, uh, that's what people are looking for, you know, it's authentic, niche brands that are different from the crowd. And when you wear a Raketa watch, you really stand out from the crowd because you, ha you, you wear something that's very, very different. 
so there's there is a big interest well you certainly described me perfectly <laughs> i mean I, I look at the watches i read the stories and i'm completely sucked in uh, which is something that doesn't happen when I look at your know, typically your Omegas and whatever, because they're just an expensive watch. Someone famous might have worn one once, but there isn't really an interesting story as such behind it. Yeah, but the advantage of these, like Omega, belongs to Swatch Group, so obviously they have a big, you know, marketing power and distribution network. So this is. The competitive advantage they have is they spend a lot of money in marketing, which we didn't have that, unfortunately. So we rely more on you know word of mouth, uh, social media, but uh, we don't have the resources to ask James Bond to wear a Raketa watch. So James Bond wears an Omega watch. I'm sure the the evil opponent would wear a Raketa though. Actually, I, I can tell you an interesting story. You know when. Uh, when Russia hosted the Winter Olympic Games, I was, that was five years ago in Sochi, mm-hmm. um, uh, Omega was the official sponsor of the Olympic Games, if I'm not mistaken. And But we did a watch in connection with that, which we just called the Sochi Raketa watch. But we didn't use any Olympic symbols nor anything else. But nevertheless, the Olympic, the International Olympic Committee sued, um, opened, a, um, started a legal action against us because they considered that our watch, uh, that, that uh, our customers could be confused and could think that we were the official sponsor of the Olympic Games, which, which obviously was ridiculous because I think to be a sponsor, you have to pay like, like three or four million euros. And, um, and uh, so that was quite interesting. So as a lawyer, I never went to court. I, you know, I was a corporate lawyer working for a US law firm. And this is mm-hmm. the only time I went to court in the Russian courts to uh, defend Raketa, to explain that, you know, this is that we're not using any Olympic symbols and this is not at all, a, we're not the sponsors of uh, the Olympic Games, but, uh, that, but that was quite funny. And we did a press release, you know, all the Russian press was, you know, we did this scandal with such a small brand trying to do a good thing. And uh, that, that, was, that, that was a very big press coverage and these watches sold very, very well at the end of the day. <laughs> and how, how did it turn out? We lost. We lost. So that was in September. So we lost. The decision was, the ruling was in September. And uh, the judge said, so uh, you, you have to withdraw your watches from the market. Uh, but you can. You have to do that uh, before December 31st. So basically, he gave us another four months to sell all of the watches. <laughs> so, so you lost but you won as well that was quite funny mm. obviously we don't have the marketing power that Omega has not yet no so which is your favourite watch oh, the watch I like at the moment uh, I like all of the watches but the watch I wear at the moment is um, a watch with a special movement that makes all the hands go counterclockwise uh, this is a watch that we released a year and a half ago, and that is linked to space because one day we discovered that all of the planets turn around the sun counterclockwise. And we also discovered that m- most of the planets turn around their own axis counterclockwise, and the moon turns around the earth counterclockwise. You can check this on Wikipedia. So we said, hey, that means the natural movement 
um, of the planets in a solar system is anti-clockwise. So why did someone decide in the first place that the hands should go clockwise? So why not make a watch that will be in harmony with the natural movements in the universe? So we asked our engineers to develop a complication that would make the hands go counterclockwise, which is actually quite difficult. So we did that. And we have a watch model now in our collection that we call the Russian Code, um, which celebrates this the natural movements of the planets in, in, in the solar system. This, this is a really cool watch. And at the beginning, we thought it'll never sell because, you know, it's difficult to get used to this, you know, counterclockwise reading of time. But it became the number one uh, uh, selling watch in 2019 in Russia and outside Russia. So we were very, and, very surprised. And it's you sort of do learn to read the clock the other way around. It takes you like two or three days to get used to it. But, you know, once you get used to it, it's like, you know, driving a car in England and in Europe, you, you yeah. get used to it. But that's one of the, that's one of the, that's a good example of what Raketa does. You know, we do very, um, we do watches with a story to tell. And this watch has an incredible story to tell. And this is typically the kind of watch that you would wear at a dinner party and you would ask your neighbor, hey, do you know how to read the, the time on the watch? And your, and your neighbor would say, yeah, of course I can. And then you show him the watch and then you look at his confused face where he tries to understand how it works and he gets it all wrong. And uh, it's, it's funny. Yeah. That's a brilliant idea. And in a world where everyone's making basically the same things, it's uh, it's good to see some creativity. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, all of our watches are very, very different. You know, um, for example, the Raketa watch will never have a twelve on the top of the dial. It will always be zero. Because I mean, there are many reasons to that. I mean, the most obvious reason is time start. You start counting from zero, right? No one's counts from twelve, one, two, three, four, five. So unlike every other watch on the market, Raketa is the only one watch that has a zero, a big zero on its dial, not a twelve. We also make watches with, you know, triangular hands, round hands. Uh, so we do a lot of things that are very different from what you can find in the market. And we didn't invent that. This was all invented in the Soviet times. Interesting. So would you say that you have learnt a lot about watches now from oh, oh, when you started oh, basically nothing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I know... Uh, I, I, at the very beginning, I, I spent all my summer holidays, you know, when my family was in Europe on the holiday, I spent my holidays at the factory working behind the machines. I, I wanted to understand exactly every uh, every single operation. Because obviously, um, because, you know, um, the people in factory said, you know, we need new machines. And then I discovered that new machines were extremely expensive and we couldn't afford them. So... I had to myself try to understand do we really need a new machine. So I tried to work on the old machine, try to figure out how can we, you know, still work with it and just do, you know. So, yeah, I know exactly how, I know quite a bit, yes. Uh, watches are, uh, is a luxury product. So it's not a product that you need for the day-to-day -day life, obviously, because you can, everyone reads the time on his telephone now. Uh, watches are all about emotions. So, uh, these difficult times actually force us to be much more creative, um, and to and to especially on the emotion side, we have to create so much more emotion around every single watch. So it's a very good challenge, which forces us to um, to be much more creative. So um, 
So we're going through a very difficult time at the moment because, as I said in St. Petersburg, today, as of today, the shops, our, our shops are so closed. So we're not selling a single watch in St. Petersburg at the moment, which was, you know, a top market in Russia. So hopefully things will get better. Is, is the tough market due to the current pandemic situations that there's not much tourism there's going n- on? Yeah, and the shops are closed. Uh, in St. Petersburg today, the shops are, we're not allowed to open our shops. And also, obviously, um, you know, tourists, there was a lot of tourism in Moscow and St. Petersburg over the past years. And obviously, tourists will not come to Russia this year. So, yes, um, uh, the situation is difficult. But, you know, um, I'm still very positive because what we do is very interesting and and um, it has a place on the, in the market. I'm sure of it. Clearly. Um, well, how is it running a business in in, in Russia? Uh, from the Western perspective, I mean, Russia is still very much a, a closed country. So, so finding a, a European running a watch factory sort of seems pretty interesting. Well, you know, all of my Western friends ask me uh, regularly, but uh, what about the mafia and corruption and you have to pay bribes and did anyone try to steal your factory? And the answer is no. In 10 years, we never paid a single bribe. Uh, I never saw any mafia. We we never had any kind of problems whatsoever. So I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying that I never encountered these kinds of problems. So... um, it's not so much more difficult than running a business um, in Europe, I would say. Um, it's, um, I mean, running a business, being an entrepreneur is very difficult per se, right? But I wouldn't say it's more difficult than in the West. Um, and um, um, I mean, the, the, the difficulty obviously is the borders, exporting, exporting, exporting watches is quite difficult. So this is a big handicap we have. Uh, exporting watches out from Russia is very costly and difficult. I would say, if you ask me, what's your number one problem now? I would say this is number one, number one problem in terms of running a business in Russia. Right. So my leading questions, wanting to hear about corruption and mafia and all that, <laughs> led absolutely nowhere. Uh, no, so. uh, no. I, I'd love to uh, make a sensation by seeing something scandalous, but no, no, nothing at all. Yeah. I never. And, and you we didn't pay a single bribe in Tanya's. Nothing at all. Things are very, <laughs> are very smooth. And there's no vodka drinking at work either. I suspect. Well, you you always have a bit of that. Uh, you know, um, Russians drink quite a lot because the winters are so cold. I mean, I, I assume it's the same in uh, in your parts of the. I think Finland, not so much Norway. Mm. So, and there is a tradition of drinking in Russia. You know, Russians have, uh, but uh, no, 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 no. And um, we don't have these kind of problems just because people know that if they do that, you know, we 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 can't accept that because obviously we require such a precision out of our specialists that it's incapable. You can't drink and, and be a watchmaker. <laughs> you, you couldn't assemble a watch if you... Um, otherwise, um, otherwise, um, no, I mean, uh, I, I, I love this country. It's, it's such a great country because um, it's so different from Europe and at the same time, so close to Europe. You know, you, we have... The culture is very similar to Europe. We have the same museums. We have the same 
ballets and operas. It's not like living in China or in Africa. So, it's, but at the same time, it's so different. The mentalities are very, very different, and and geographically, it's so close to Europe. I, I can f- go back, you know, visit my family for a wedding or for a party for a, for the weekend. So, it's it's it, the country. It's a very it's a very exotic country, but very European at the same time. It's a great country. Very good. Um, in closing, David, is there anything you'd like to mention about what? where Raketa is doing at the moment or where it's going or anything you'd like to add? Um, We're doing an incredible collaboration with uh, the biggest Russian art museum, which is called Tretyakov Gallery, in a connection with Malevich. I don't know if you've heard of Malevich. He was was the biggest and most famous um, avant-garde artist. Um, He made a painting, the most absurd painting in the world, called The Black Square. And so the next watch that will come out in, in, in a month and a half will be uh, called Raketa Big Zero Malevich. It's, it's like a really abstract watch based on an abstract avant-garde design. That's a really cool watch. And it, the old black? It, it, exactly. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. And, so, and I would love to come and visit your country. I've never been there, never. You should. I know. I know. I should. I know. I should. I'd love to come. Okay, David. This has been great. Um, I loved hearing about uh, the nitty gritty of uh, the Russian factory, and uh, I recommend everyone check out Raketa watches if you like the more unusual designs, something different and something apart. So, thanks a lot, David. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks to David Henderson-Stewart of uh, Raketa Watches for being today's guest. We've come to the end of this episode of Gomology. Thanks for listening in. Uh, there'll be a new episode next week, if not before. Um, if you'd like to get in touch, I'm uh, Nick Johannesson. Uh, the email address is welldresseddad at gmail.com. You might also like to check out my blog at welldresseddad.com or my Instagram as uh, welldresseddad. So uh, thanks a lot and uh, I'll see you soon.